Guys, welcome to another major episode of Triggered. And today's episode is all about one of the biggest issues facing our country today. The left-wing indoctrination of our children, the attacks on our education system, and what we can ultimately do to stop it. Because frankly, if we don't get involved at this point, I don't think it ends well. Today, we're joined by author and commentator Liz Wheeler, who's out with a new book called Hide Your Children exposing the Marxist behind the attack on America's kids. For too long, conservatives have stayed on the sidelines as the left took over one major institution after another, and that includes our schools, our places of higher learning. They've been totally commandeered, and this book lays out not just how it happened, but most importantly, what we can do to stop it once and for all. We always talk on the show about, hey, all the things, we can complain all we want, but we actually need to do something about it. We can't just sit on the sidelines and complain. We need to get in the game. We need to get involved. So guys, make sure you're liking, you're sharing, you're subscribing to the show. It's real simple. Just click it right there. It's the only way we can keep getting this message out. We understand what we're up against. We're clearly not getting any help from big tech. Frankly, it's the exact opposite. Establishment media isn't willing to take on these issues. They're really content just letting it happen right under our noses. So it's all of you who make this show possible, along with our incredible sponsors. So guys, it takes some guts to support programming like this. Go check out our sponsors. Check out the great folks over at Gold Co. We all see it daily. Biden and the leftists are creating a dangerous economic storm, and I just want you to be prepared. With interest rates skyrocketing, inflation and reckless spending going through the roof, global turmoil, and again, the Biden-caused disasters, it's only getting worse each and every day. So owning tangible, physical, inflation hedging gold and silver can help secure and stabilize your portfolio. And Gold Co. has top-notch customer service. They'll answer all of your questions. They'll walk you through the whole process. Go to donjuniorgold.com. That's D-O-N-J-R gold.com and learn how to protect yourself. That's the biggest thing we can do, folks. We can educate ourselves. We can learn. Let them take you through the process and figure it out for yourself. DonJuniorGold.com. Joining me now, author of the new book, Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids, is Liz Wheeler. Liz, you've been talking about this a lot. It's a key tenant of this show. But everything you talk about in the book, and a big theme of this show, we see time and time again, the leftists in power trying to coerce, trying to indoctrinate our children. Can you lay out the sort of timeline of how this all happened and the main premise of the book? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited for people to read this. It's finally out. I'm a little nervous, too, because uh, it's a massive critique of the Republican Party. We kind of expect the left to do bad things. We expect Marxists to try to impose their ideology on us, but we shouldn't expect Republicans, or you would hope Republicans wouldn't be, or that they would be the good guys, that they would be the bulwark against this. But we're living in this cultural insanity where we're told boys can be girls if they want to, girls can be boys. We're told white children are racist and black children are oppressed. And the reason that we're experiencing this cultural insanity is because something the Republican Party is doing when they're fighting back against the left is isn't working. So I think it's time we sat down and we analyzed what is this political enemy that we're facing? Who are we up against? What is their goal? What are the tactics they're using? And then we recalibrate our fighting tactics so that we are effective and we actually control these institutions that protect our children. So this book began. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. I mean, the, the Republicans, you know, I, I say this all the time. I mean, it's our own fault. We, we're live and let live, and we turn the other cheek, and we do this while the left, and they're like, excellent, this is, this is great. We'll take the win, and we'll chip away at your freedoms again tomorrow. We'll take the win, and we're going to push gender-affirming surgeries on your children. We'll take the, I mean, it's our own fault. I mean, we've, we've watched the ship sink uh, in total cluelessness. 
uh, as they chip away at each and every institution. They've taken over the upper echelons of the military. And, you know, we make a distinction between the door kickers, who actually are probably all conservative, uh, but they've done the same in law enforcement. You know, as much as they hate it, they still own the upper echelons of American law enforcement, whether it's the FBI and the DOJ, and all these things have been commandeered by the left. So you're right. I mean, it is our own fault. We allowed this to happen right under our noses. We did, and let me give you one of the most horrendous examples. So you bring up transgender surgeries for children. This is pretty much universally condemned in our nation. You don't have to be a conservative or a Republican or a Christian to think that this is just brutal mutilation of the bodies of innocent children. Most parents are against this. And we have states that are trying to ban this, these transgender surgeries because they're abusive. It's not medicine, it's not science. And then you have Governor Chris Christie, this crazy guy who maybe delusionally thinks he's gonna be president. He's not who went on CNN two weeks ago and was asked why he doesn't support the state's bans on transgender surgeries for children. And this is what the guy said. He said, well, listen, I don't necessarily support these surgeries, but it's not the government's role to tell parents what they're supposed to do with their children. This is something that parents should be involved in, and I don't want the government to usurp parental rights. And Don, I listened to that, and I thought, Wow. Well, we all knew this guy was an idiot, but he's stupider than we thought because we already have laws in the books that prevent parents from abusing their children. Parental rights aren't absolute to the point that you can starve your child or beat your child. We we have laws actually that aren't just based on the physical safety of children. We have a law in our country that bans children from walking across the floor of a casino. Why? Is that physically harmful for a child? No, but we all agree that it's a moral hazard for a child. And Republicans somewhere along the way have lost this idea that there is just authority of government to acknowledge basic right and wrong, objective reality. And we've fallen prey to this idea that there can be neutrality in institutions. Maybe this sounds edgy. I don't believe in neutrality. I don't think that the education system, for example, is ever going to just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. No, I we're think failing at either... those things miserably. We're, we're failing at those things are. miserably, but everyone can identify the 9,476 genders uh, that they created in the last 24 hours. Yes, exactly. It's either going to be the left's values, their beliefs, their ideologies that prevail, or it's going to be the rights. It's never going to be just a neutral playing field. And what's so interesting, when I was doing research for this book, I came across something that actually surprised me. Public education has not been compulsory. It hasn't been mandatory in our country for that long. The first mandatory public education law um, was put into effect in 1852, not that long ago in Massachusetts. And the reason public schooling was made compulsory there was because there was an influx of immigrants into to our country at the time, particularly Catholic immigrants. And the Protestant politicians at the time wanted these immigrant children to be indoctrinated in American values so that they were loyal first to America versus the country of their birth. And they wanted these children indoctrinated in Protestant values because they were anti-Catholic and there's always going to be a raging battle between Protestants and Catholics. Yeah. And I realized our education system actually is designed to be an indoctrination center. Indoctrination itself is kind of a nebulous, morally neutral concept. It's what's being indoctrinated that determines whether it's good or bad, right or wrong. And Republicans along the way have surrendered that education system, which was designed for the good kind of indoctrination. They surrendered that in the name of neutrality to the left, who were only too happy to swoop in with their Marxist ideologies and try to co-opt our kids' minds. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like when you see Chris Christie, it's like, you know, it, the, the trans thing, it, it, it's such a small, tiny, I've never seen sort of, I call it the trans mafia, right? I've never seen such a tiny group of people control so much power, so much narrative. I mean, if you're trans, it's like, oh, you can murder someone, it's fine. It, like, it's okay, you're trans. Like, oh, it, you're, you're beyond reproach. But when I see Republicans, like, I didn't even know about the Chris Christie example, that's, that's surprising, but it's like, you know, it, it almost feels like those guys you know, they get like a little Scooby snack from the media. And I, Chris Christie likes his snacks, but like if you go trans, if you accommodate, if you bend the knee, it's like they'll give you some love because they're, they're all in on it. And we're, we're so desperate for a little bit of love. And in many of those cases, you know, with Chris Christie's probably trying out for the, you know, conservative commentator role on CNN or whatever it may be. So, you know, you gotta give a little bit, you gotta bend the knee, you gotta show them that, you know, their ideas aren't totally crazy rather than actually fighting. And I think, you know, Republicans, so many of them, they're hooked desperately on that need for that little crumb from the media, that little acknowledgement that, hey, maybe you're not all that bad. I mean, is that what it is or is it even worse than that? 
I think for politicians, you're right. Politicians and a lot of media figures, even ostensibly Republican and conservative media figures, have this uh, weird, twisted craving for validation from their enemies, which is never going to lead to anything healthy and good. If you're going to do what I do, you're going to do what you do, Don. I don't need to tell you. You're going to have to just get used to people criticizing you and hating you and calling you all sorts of names that aren't true. And you just can't care about it. You can't worry that you can't change your haters' I take it as a badge of honor. For me, it's a badge I mean, of honor. I'm like, when they funny. hate me, I'm doing something right. I'm over the target. I know, and I oftentimes find their rage so funny because they're so they're so frothing at the mouth that they're not even clever in their insults, and for some reason that amuses me. You can call it a twisted sense of humor or whatever. But a lot of Republicans, listen, I don't want to I don't want to speak with animosity about libertarians because. I was a libertarian or at least libertarian minded when I was young. I think all conservatives when we were young was more libertarian minded. But libertarianism really is the root of the problem in Republican ideology. And this is this is a little philosophical, but it has practical implications that I'll get to in a moment. We you and I sit here and we think of the United States as a free nation. Right. But what does that actually mean? What is freedom? What is liberty? What's the purpose of it? Is freedom the ultimate end of our policies or is freedom the means to something greater? And the Republicans have chosen this this former definition that freedom is the ultimate end. But if that's true, and this is what I challenge conservatives to think about in my book, if that's true, then what David French once said when he said that drag queen story hour is a blessing of liberty, that would have to be true. Because these grown men who are dressed up as sexualized versions of women gyrating in front of children would have to have some kind of inherent morality just because the men had the freedom to do that. Yet... I reject that premise. You and I sitting here, we know that's grotesque. We know it's evil. So freedom must be the means to something greater. And we as conservatives and Republicans, the Republican Party apparatus specifically, have forgotten to grapple with the question, well, what is the something greater? What do we want our society to look like? What is human flourishing? And how do we use the just authority of government to achieve that in our society? Alyssa, I, I agree with you. And I, I'm one of those guys you're guilty of saying, hey, I have a libertarian streak in me as well, I, even still, even today. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of, you know, generally speaking, conservative people that do want government out of aspects of their lives, but you're 100% right. Where, where does that end? You know, I, I notice, though, when we talk about drag queen story hour, you're right. In your example, we should be, that should be a blessing. Uh, and yet, that doesn't work, right? It, and it's also because it's so clear that the attack is there, right? Notice there's no drag queen story hour at like a hospice care center. Uh, there's no drag queen story hour for the elderly. It's drag queen story hour at a kindergarten, at a library for minors. It's, it's a flagrant attack on, let's say, the most easily influenced, uh, you know, the people with the least you know, d- developed uh, you know, mindset, ideology, whatever, and it's trying to get to them early. That's the difference for me. You know, if, if there was even a, a hint that Drag Queen Story Hour was there, I have five kids. I know all about Story Hour. I've seen it for years. I got, <laughs> we, we have as many kids as I do. Uh, you're used to it, but it's not that prevalent that magically the number of Story Hours around the country seem to be entirely commandeered by drag queens entirely done. That is a specific attack on our children. That is designed to indoctrinate. That is designed to normalize some of the insanity that they're pushing on a daily basis. And it's designed to do so to manipulate the most easily impressionable. And and that's what we have to grapple with, right? Because I'd love the government not to have to decide these things. I'd love to have them not involved in any aspect of my lives. But if that's what they're doing, the sexualization and perversion of our children, which it's Literally, I don't know how anyone could even make a credible argument at this point that that's not exactly what they're doing. Uh, That's a problem. It is a problem, and you articulated it well. I agree with your feelings on libertarianism. I have that streak, too, that says, government, get off my lawn, mind your own business, don't get involved in my life. We all do. That's sort of the American spirit. That's a good thing. But let me tell a little tale on myself. Back at CPAC in 2016, you were there. You remember what a madhouse it was. In the midst (laughs) of the 2016 Republican primary, I mean, the energy in that place was crazy. I gave a speech on the main stage right before Marco Rubio did. So PAC house, 5,000 people. Everyone was essentially just waiting for Trump to get there. And afterward, I'm out in the lobby. I'm taking pictures with people. I'm doing interviews. And this independent journalist comes up to me with his video camera. 
and asks me not who I preferred as a candidate, which is what most people were asking because that's what people cared about. He asks me this very philosophical question. He goes, what's the definition of liberty and what, what role do you think government has in, in protecting the liberty in our country? And so I gave him a very declaration of independence answer, like government should protect our individual rights. They can yeah. fight wars across the sea. They can tax people. You know, they're a little bit regulatory in our economy, but really they should mind their own business. And he immediately pivots into asking me, okay, well, do you think that we should legalize marijuana? And I was like, oh, okay, this is a, a, a sharp pivot here. And I was like, no, I'm not generally in favor of legalizing marijuana. I don't think it has good societal impacts. And he says to me, well, isn't that a contradiction of what you just articulated when you said that government shouldn't be involved in regulating people's behaviors unless it's violating someone else's rights? And at the time I defended my position, I was like, no, no, it's not a contradiction. I mean, I don't want to legalize marijuana or meth or heroin or anything that has such negative impacts. And this, I finally realized, by the way, that this guy's not a journalist. He was like a drug legalization advocate, which makes yeah, a little more sense. Of course. But this conversation stuck with me for years because yeah. I realized that he actually was correct. I was contradicting my viewpoint when I defined liberty just as a libertarian would, because there's no justification for even illegalizing meth or heroin unless we acknowledge that, yes, government is supposed to uh, help us form some kind of moral order in society by establishing some things that are baseline right and wrong. And that yeah, kind of began my transformation away from libertarianism to where I am now. Yeah, and I, I think the left has weaponized that very effectively, right? They take the one example, you know, of hundreds and try to throw it in your face to push, you know, again, what I what I think is degeneracy. I've gotten in trouble with this one myself, right? The, the weed issue is one that, you know, I, and again, I, I get where you're going. Where's the line? Do I, I don't really care that much if grown people smoke weed. I don't want to be paying for it. I don't want to have to cover, you know, the... The, you know, the BS that sort of flows downhill from that with what they do in their lives. And it's the same thing. I've gotten in trouble for saying on the, on the trans issue, if you're a grown ass man and you want to chop off your thing, like, I don't actually care. I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to hear about it ad nauseum. I don't want to have to bow to every whim and every pronoun and every never ending and always changing uh, whim uh, that you have, but but again, the libertarian streak in me says, hey, if you're a grown-ass person, and so I make the distinction between going after our children and that. Now, that gets me in trouble with conservatives, but I actually don't, I don't care. Like I said, you know, okay, if, if they want to destroy themselves, just like I don't have a problem with them getting a tattoo if they want to, but the targeting of children is different. So it is something that we do have to reconcile, because again, they'll take those little examples and they'll weaponize it against us fully. The media covers it, big tech, you know, goes after you, you get censored if you say anything even remotely like that. So it, it creates a problem. And the problem is exacerbated again by the fact that we're not fighting a fair battle, right? They have the entire weight and strength of mainstream media. They have the entire weight and strength of big tech, all sort of pushing that narrative plus pop culture, not an insignificant hurdle to have to surmount. Right. And I, I think just the way that you're grappling with his question on air is what the Republican Party should be doing. We often make fun of Democrats in Congress because they all vote in lockstep, right? Everyone obeys Nancy Pelosi to the letter. No one dissents. And we kind of mock them. We're like, oh, don't you have any independent thinkers? What are you guys just minions of Nancy Pelosi? But meanwhile, Republicans can't get our act together. We're always infighting. We can never form coalitions that are actually effective, even when we have majorities. And the reason for that is because Democrats actually do agree on what their ultimate goal is. They share a belief of what they're trying to achieve and Republicans don't. We have failed to define a clear agenda. Sure, we agree on some policy things, but we failed to define a moral agenda. Yeah. So a lot of people, I mean, you look at Josh Hawley or Rand Paul, they have completely different views on what our government should be used for, what our society should look like. Josh Hawley thinks we should ban TikTok because it's a Chinese Communist Party, like psychological operation on our children and it's a national security risk. Rand Paul thinks if we ban it, that would be the same thing as the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party censoring speech. That's a huge divergence in yeah. belief about the role of the United States government and Republicans have to think about this. 
The one thing philosophically that I mentioned in my book is a lot of people will sit here and say, well, Liz, it sounds like you're suggesting theocracy. It sounds like you're suggesting right wing authoritarianism. And I'm suggesting no such thing because our constitution, this idea that I'm proposing is not new. Our constitution is actually rooted in the idea that liberty is defined as justice and that justice is defined as natural law, that our civil laws shouldn't be able to violate natural law. And that gives us the parameters to make sure that when we are legislating morality, if you will, or acknowledging morality with our legislation, that we don't become authoritarians just like the other side. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge thing. The, the Democrats, they're, they're just they're much smarter about the long game. Right. We don't play the long game. You're, the, the Holly, you know, Rand Paul exam. And I'm friends with both of them. I, it's a perfect example because we can actually have like 99 percent of what we want collectively as a party on the books ready to sign. And we'll screw it up because of one thing, whereas the Democrats can be at 51 percent. And they take that 1% as the win. They take the win, they get in lockstep, they sign it, and the next day, they're chipping away at the other 49%. We blow, I mean, some things that are just, would be huge for our party, for our movement, for conservatism, however you want to block it, over, uh, you know, the technicality. And again, the technicality is a big one, and we talk about this, but we're not intelligent in terms of strategy. We're not, we don't run these things or think about it like a business. Like, hey, take, take the single. We're always looking for the grand slam to finally, you know, dunk on the leftists and really win every, like, it, it's just not a realistic thing in the way Congress functions with the obstacles, again, that I've discussed that we're up against. I mean, I wish we would actually take those small, you know, victories and just, add them to each other. I mean, that's how we win in the long run, but we blow entire major pieces of legislation uh, to, to try to get the grand slam, and it just doesn't seem to work. Right, it's like, congratulations, Congressman, you got a viral video, video on Twitter, but the policy in our nation and the cultural fabric hasn't changed one bit. So yeah. what have you actually accomplished when we've sent you to Washington, D.C.? Listen, what, what you're talking about, this, this cohesion of the Republican Party or their strategy, their commitment to their ideas, that's what I discussed in the first half of my book. It's why I put the word Marxists in the title, yeah. even though I knew a lot of people were gonna be like, whoa, Liz, isn't that hyperbolic? Is it actual Marxists or is that just an empty ad hominem that we throw at each other on cable news Airways. I don't think it is anymore. Not if you look at what they're it's actually not. saying. I mean, they're, they're not even covering that up anymore. I mean, the same people screaming about democracy for the last seven years or under the Trump presidency, they're totally fine with a weaponized DOJ going after the former president of the United States, trying to put him in jail for like a thousand years and possible death penalty. The same week, they can attack Vladimir Putin for literally doing the same thing to his political enemies. Uh, I don't know how you can get away with it, but, you know, I guess, you know, irony doesn't affect them. Hypocrisy doesn't matter. They get their talking points and they move on. No, they don't care about hypocrisy or the double standard that you and I care about because we're good faith, honest people of integrity. And they are Marxists who believe they are justified using, quote unquote, extra legal means to topple the government of the United States. And they just happen to be using Donald Trump as their first bowling pin that they're trying to knock over. It's we, what we're watching unfold before us is evil. And this is what I tell people at the beginning of my book. The reason that I trace the origins of the attack, whether it's critical race theory or trans ideology, the assault on parental rights, technocracy, this rule by the experts, all these different ways that our children are being assaulted, I trace it back to the specific people and organizations, the specific Marxists, I should say, and Marxist organizations that are behind this is because I always tell people, if we do not acknowledge the reality of the political enemy that we're facing, we won't fight well against it and we won't win. And Man. I am so tired of losing. I want to win. I'm tired of being in the same party as people like Mitt Romney who look at Joe Biden and say, he's a decent man. No, we are not fighting against well-intentioned a well-intentioned political opposition who are simply unwise about their policies but share fundamental bedrock values. That is not what we're facing in the United States. And if we don't start acknowledging who these people are and exactly how they've accomplished what they've accomplished, this institutional capture, and what their plan is moving forward, then we're never going to recover from this cultural insanity. And I refuse to accept that as reality. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. When you look back at your work in the media, you've been there for a while doing these things. Are there specific moments that stand out to you where you realize that, you know what, this is a full-blown crisis? I mean, were there any just like aha moments that uh, you know, that got you thinking about these things and actually talking about them? And, and why are there so few people actually willing to actually do that? 
Yeah, there are a couple of moments that stick out in my mind. So, so a, a few years ago, this is maybe 2018, uh, 2018, 2019, right around that time. It was after the 2016 election. Um, there was a bill in the state of California. I lived in California for about a decade. That's where I have worked at my old job. And there was a bill that was that was passing the state legislature that was supposed to be a ban on uh, sexual orientation change therapy. It was presented as a ban on abusive pray the gay away camps. But that's not actually what it was when you read the text yeah. of the bill. When you it read the text is. of the bill, <laughs> no, it never is. It's like the don't say gay law in Florida. Not actually what it is if you read the bill. But in California, this bill would have prohibited any counselor, any doctor, or any book that um, that encouraged or provided any tools for someone to overcome same-sex attraction or get more comfortable in their gender if they were feeling gender dysphoric. And it could have possibly extended to even the Bible, Don. Now, yeah. Snopes has fact-checked me on this a million times. They claim that I'm a liar, factcheck.org, all those places. Funded by radical leftists, they have no idea what they're talking about. I'm the one who read the text of the bill. And if the Bible had been presented as, here, read the word of God, and it will help you properly order your sexual behavior, then that Bible could have been banned from being sold under that pretext. And when that happened, and the backlash followed, when I exposed this in California, we exposed this to the point that 20 million people saw this video, and the state of California was forced to pull this bill from consideration. And when I saw the backlash from the left doubling down on this, I realized, well, this is not one evil person in the California state legislature. This is what they want. They actively yeah. want to prohibit us from worshiping the God we choose and from living our lives according to our own morals. And it was it was really a shocking moment, I think, a very surreal moment. Yeah. And we see, we see that every day. I mean, California is an example of it. I know, you know, Minnesota had the legislation. You know, if you if you try to, you're not allowed to discriminate in the workforce against someone who's a sex offender. I mean, you know, you're a pedophile. Uh, you can't discriminate against that person in the workforce. You got to hire them to work at a kindergarten. California, they always say, you know, we're not really doing those things. And then the next week, 100% of the California state legislator votes to say, no, if you don't just go along with your three-year-old deciding that they want to go through gender affirming care or whatever the hell that means, we're going to take your children away from you. They're always like, no, 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 that's not really what you're doing. But then you're like, but here, it, it, it literally says it right that. Like, it's... It's not some, you know, radical lunatic outlier. This is the California state legislator and 100% of the Democrats voted in favor of exactly what you're saying. This is not what we're trying to do. That's exactly right, but they've co-opted the media. The left has co-opted the media to the point that they know most people won't do what we'll do and probably what the viewers of your show do, which is read the text of the legislation ourselves yeah. and see for ourselves and draw our own conclusions about what those words mean. They're, they hope that they can just lie. They believe that they can just lie to people and that people will um, that people will buy into that. Listen, COVID was another one of those moments. Like I was in California during COVID. Uh, Governor Newsom was one of the first ones to implement a lockdown. And he did it under the pretext that this virus was, had a 3.6% fatality rate, which is what the World Health Organization and Fauci told us, that it was going to affect everyone, even children. But Don, we knew right from the beginning. We knew right from the beginning. After that, after that cruise ship, there was a case study, an accidental case study on that cruise ship, where we saw that even among older people, I think it was like middle-aged older people, 50, 60, 70-year-olds on this cruise ship, the case fatality rate was still right around 1% or less than 1%. We knew these narratives were false, yet we were told in the name of listen to the experts that we weren't allowed to have any voice in the governance of our country, that we had to just sit down and shut up, have our businesses closed, be barred from going to church. I actually had police officers kick me out of a park. I was sitting on the grass in the sun in San Diego, not near anyone else. And a police on, an, on a little four-wheeler came up to me and was like, you have to leave because you're, you know, we can't have, we have to have social distancing. I was like, well, the only person that's been near me is you. Nobody else is even near me. And I realized at that point that this rule by the experts isn't just an isolated incident to Dr. Fauci, that this is technocracy. This is an ideology that was begot of French socialists and Russian Bolsheviks who understood that rule by the experts or technocracy is a stepping stone from capitalism to communism. It's how you convince a citizenry to give up their participation in governance in the name of science and technology and things they know nothing about. It's very dangerous. Yeah, well, I think there was no question that was a case study. And I think the reason, you know, you could also see how quickly, uh, you know, Republican governors across the board wanted to give freedom back to people once we figured out exactly everything that was going on. And, you know, you talk about, you know, 1% fatality. That's before you even start talking about 
you know, sort of the pre-existing conditions, right? Everyone, That's oh, it's one right. It's like, well, no, but like this person's dying, or you know, this person died, but well, they got hit by a bus. I mean, yeah, they had COVID. Their, the chance of their survival was incredibly high, but they got hit by a bus, but they died with COVID. Therefore, it was a COVID death. And you saw the reluctance of the left to give back any of that freedom. I mean, I think we saw this around the countries, you know, places, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, UK, places that we sort of, hey, maybe they don't have quite the same as we have with our Bill of Rights and freedom of speech, but like, hey, they're close. They believe in these things. You realize, no, they don't. They're so much more far gone than we ever believed. And you saw that response from the leftist governors. You know, it was like a great, just trial run for their totalitarian takeover of everything that we know and love about our country. And it, you know, I, I was sort of disappointed with really how many Americans just sort of went, you know, lockstep uh, with this, you know, governed by the experts, even once we started seeing the facts. I mean, I get it in the beginning. You know, you didn't know, I mean, what are you seeing? This, I mean, but once we started like, well, children, it was like 0%. Well, we gotta keep shutting down schools and we gotta keep doing it. It, it was intentional and it was so obvious to everyone. It was so obvious to everyone, and I agree. I, I found myself very disillusioned during the summer of 2020 because I thought surely people in sunny San Diego, which is where I was, wouldn't agree to not go to the beach, wouldn't agree to keep wearing a face mask while they're riding their bike on the sidewalk, wouldn't agree to lock down. I mean, the restaurant industry was absolutely decimated. People's livelihoods were ruined. And I expected people just to be like, yeah, right, buddy, we're done with this and to go back to normal. And they didn't. And I hope people, I hope people's eyes have been opened. I don't say that with any yeah. judgment per se, no animosity at least. I hope people have reflected on that and understand better the reality of this political enemy that we face because once we understand it, we can fight back against it. The very last chapter of my book, I lay out a 12-step plan for how we can use the just authority of government to order our society towards good. And when I say the just authority of government, a lot of times conservatives mistake the idea of limited government for a government that's just tiny in size. Yeah. And that's not really what limited government means. Limited government means constrained by enumerated powers, constrained by accountability to the people. But there is a just authority of, of state, local, and federal government, and we should use that. It's not just a matter of, oh, we should order our lives, take our families to church, do the right thing as individuals, and the cultural effect will be downstream of that. No, we have to ban critical race theory from the military, from the federal government, from any public school system from any private business that does any business that does any contracts with the federal government we have to prohibit the transgender ideology and ban these surgeries on children we have to eradicate dei again from any governmental institution or any private institution that does business with the federal government including private universities that take federally subsidized student loans we have to prohibit esg it's dishonest it's a it's a chinese communist party social credit score system intended to control us and control our businesses. There's so much we can do if we just understand that it's okay to use government to do it. To, you know, to kind of circle back to the book and the key premise, when you look back at your experience in school, your childhood, why is it that the schools have become so radicalized? Is it the types of people going into education? Is it all part of sort of a big plan of sort of that Marxist ideology? I mean, it does seem like, you know, if you quote any of the sort of the famous dictators of the world, it's always about going after the children, pitting them against their parents, pitting them against their country, breaking down any of the social structures and social norms, uh, you know, that probably the American society was based on for so long. Uh, you know, is there even a chance of getting conservative or patriotic teachers back into schools? I know there are some, because I'll get blown up. Like, I'm a teacher, I believe this, but you know, that's, that's a 1% class. I, and I love that they're there, but they also know if they speak up, they'll be gone. Just like if you speak up in the military, you'll be gone. But if you're trans, you become an admiral in about two weeks. It's, we're not in the same thing. How did, how did that happen? Yeah, so I, I trace back exactly how this happened. So first of all, the word woke or wokeness, a lot of a lot of parents can recognize this when it's in their children's curriculum. They might not know the origin, but they can point to critical race theory as being woke. They can point to preferred pronouns as being woke, and maybe maybe virtue signaling with Ukraine flag as being woke. But I trace the origin of the word woke since a lot of people want to know, well, what is the definition of this? I traced it back to its origin. It was actually, the concept was coined by a Brazilian Marxist named Paulo Freire, who contended that uh, our education system, or 
the education system in Brazil at the time, shouldn't teach children facts and knowledge. He said it's oppressive for teachers to teach facts and knowledge to children because he said there's no such thing as objective truth. It's just the prevailing political narrative. So what he suggested, instead of teaching facts and knowledge, he suggested that children be taught a way to view the world, a worldview. And he called this worldview critical consciousness. Well, critical consciousness is a way to view the world. It's viewing the world through a Marxist lens where every person is either labeled as an oppressor or someone who is oppressed. Don, Paulo Freire's critical consciousness is packaged in every schoolroom in our country, in your local neighborhood elementary school, in the reddest state in the country. It's there in the form of what's called social emotional learning, a phrase that a lot of parents ignore because it sounds really neutral. It sounds really innocuous. Yeah. Social yeah, what's emotional wrong with learning. That, Liz? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> It's disguised as values education. It's not supposed to be facts and knowledge, but values education, if you read what it is, it is teaching children to view the world through Paulo Freire's critical consciousness, through the lens of wokeness as Marxists. So this was transferred to the United States from Brazil. There are organizations and lobbyists right now who are trying to get this into every schoolroom in the country, including Randy Weingarten. They had a very easy time doing this because in the 1960s, these radical Marxist academics took over our teachers' colleges, particularly Columbia Teachers College, and they seeded throughout universities and high schools and even elementary schools, teachers who had been trained to teach Paulo Freire's critical consciousness, to teach children to be essentially little Marxists. And conservatives, while this was happening, it took decades to be successful. Conservatives just had their head in the sand. They were complacent. They were like, oh, we don't want to violate the separation of church and state by teaching American values and Judeo-Christian values. And that simply allowed the left to completely co-opt the system. Okay, so that, I mean, that, I think that was great because I think everyone knows what woke means kind of, but to define it, it was really important. But, you know, we touched on this in the beginning, but your book's also really explicit in saying we're up against actual Marxists. How would you define Marxism in the context of education and, and what's the end goal of that system there? Yeah, this is also a great question because a lot of times when we think of uh, Marx, we think of Karl Marx, we think of the Communist yeah. Manifesto, we think of the working class revolting against the ruling class to overthrow capitalism. And people will be like, is that really what you're talking about? Is that exists in our country today? Well, here's what happened historically. Karl Marx envisioned this global Marxist revolution happening after he wrote the Communist Manifesto. And it didn't really come to fruition. There were some countries that had Marxist revolutions, but it wasn't the global revolution he anticipated. And so it kind of died out. It, this, this evil philosophy went out of style for a little bit until an Italian Marxist, his name was Antonio Gramsci. He lived in Italy. He was actually the co-founder of the Italian Communist Party. He was put in prison by Mussolini. And while he was in prison, he studied Marxism and studied what had made the successful Marxist revolutions successful. And what he found is that when Marxist revolutions were successful, they weren't sparked by a discontented working class. They first co-opted the civil institutions, which means cultural institutions, that the working class relied on. And Gramsci named, among others, the media, the education system, the law, religious institutions, and the nuclear family. What Gramsci envisioned is what we're seeing play out. And this is the trippiest thing I came across in the entire course of my research. Gramsci's ideas were not translated into English until the last 50 years. And I'm reading these prison notebooks of Gramsci and I suddenly on the front of the cover see who did the translation. The man who translated Gramsci from Italian to English, his name is Joseph Buttigieg. Yes, that Buttigieg. It is the father serious? of Pete Buttigieg. He was a fan. He ran an international fan club for Antonio Gramsci and brought this Marxism, this cultural Marxism here to the United States. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't expecting that one. But yeah, no, it's a. Uh... It's amazing how that's happened, and I think you're right. That's what the left tries to do. They try. Well, no, no, it's different than communism, but it, the the end goals still the same, right? They they have yes. total capitulation, total control. So, I guess one of the things you know, because we talk about this a lot on the show, there's a different sort of, and I hey, we're we're all guilty of it as well at times, right? We sort of bitch from the sidelines. We complain about what is it that parents can do to stand up to this madness. You know, I, I see it with the trans thing. And I, I know it's, while they're incredibly powerful, while they cancel you know, and punch way above their weight class, I know that the average person doesn't believe it. Because if I, if I put out a tweet being like, hey man, I think it's ridiculous that a dude won like the girls track championship in Connecticut and is getting a full ride scholarship. 
the commentary I get from a platform that, you know, user base is still vastly left-leaning. I, I hate you with the passion, Don. You're the worst human being in the world. I can't believe I actually agree with you on something. I, I don't think that anyone actually wants this. And yet there's a small group of people that have a very, you know, a large amount of undue influence punching above that weight class. How do we push back? How do we stop, you know, this weaponized... Uh, law enforcement. How do you stop them from branding you as domestic terrorists? Because, you know, you don't want your children indoctrinated in school. And that didn't come from radicals. That came from our Department of Justice. Now, they may have been commandeered by radicals. What's your advice to parents who want to stand up to the indoctrination, but at the same time, you know, are, are realistic about the consequences of that, right? You have a target on your back. Yeah. You have a target on your back. <laughs> I know I've had a target on my back, and I'm dumb enough to be like, I don't care, I'm just going to keep fighting. Not everyone has that. What can that parent do? You know, that may not have the soapbox, may not have the, you know, the stomach to go all in uh, and make themselves that target. Well, listen, there's two things that I advise parents to do. First of all, as parents in our individual family, we can make sure that we instill in our children the idea of right and wrong. And that's actually the the why I named my book Hide Your Children. And I knew that it's kind of kind of a play on the Antoine Dodson video, Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife. <laughs> but and I couldn't resist a little levity on an otherwise intense topic. Oh, yeah. But really, parents, it's incumbent on us as parents to give our children shelter from this evil that seeks to harm them. And and teach them very clearly what is right before they are exposed to what is wrong. Now, this doesn't mean sheltering them till they're 20 so that they get out into the big bad world and can't function. But as little children, they should not know what a neo pronoun is until probably until they're in high school and properly understand what biology is, what gender is, what sex is and the purpose of it. So parents can protect their children. I mean, my daughter's two and a half. She doesn't watch screens. She's not going to be getting a phone until probably she's out of my house. I'm going to homeschool her because as much as some people of your age and my age had a good experience with public schools, it's very, very different now. I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to send their children to a public school. So homeschool your children if you can. Outside of the individual family unit, um, we have to, as conservatives, be willing and be comfortable to use government towards some of these ends. So whether it's banning transgender ideology in schools so that our children aren't indoctrinated, whether it's banning TikTok because the Chinese communists are trying to brainwash your kids, whether it's making woke corporations abandon ESG practices, which force them to put wokeness in their children's programming like Disney, whatever it may be, we have recourse if we pressure our elected officials to do what they're supposed to do and harness the just authority of government to prevent evil from destroying our families. No, I, I think that's interesting. You know, I, I, again, I have five kids, so I got, uh, you know, and some young ones. You know, has the other side maybe jumped the shark uh, and taken some of the stuff too far? Because, I mean, I see it with my kids. Now, my kids are a little different. I'll have these conversations with them. They know exactly where I stand. You know, but they're going to be more political. They, they watch some of this stuff just because they probably can't escape from it at this point. But, you know, I see it with their friends. They come over. These are young kids. I mean, single-digit age. And, you know, they're literally laughing about some of the pronoun stuff at times. Like, they're, you know, has the other side taken it so far that even... Even the impressionable minds that they're trying to indoctrinate, that they're trying to manipulate, are calling, you know, frankly, just calling bullshit at this point and being like, okay, give me a break. Because I've seen that with a lot of kids. Now, I live in Florida. They're not in the public school system. Maybe it's different. But, like, I, I do see, like, every time I hear them laughing about it, I'm like, okay, good. There, there's hope. Uh, they're they're <laughs> not <God>. just <laughs> buying blindly into it. Uh, do, you, do you see some of that, or is it just so much worse uh, in, in the public school system and also perhaps geographically, depending on where you are? Well, both. I think it is worse in the public school system. It's worse when children don't have parents like you who are teaching them right from wrong. And a lot of parents aren't aren't being delinquent intentionally. They just assumed that the public school system would teach their children right from wrong. They didn't realize that, yes, that's what the school system is doing, but their definition of right and wrong are very different. Um, I say in my book that we should expect escalation from the left. So you can you can use the phrase jump the shark. And I hope that you're correct. I hope that they have overshot and that um, the backlash causes them to retreat. But I fear that they're going to have to continue to double down because they've enjoyed this cushion for literally 60 years to infiltrate, subvert, plot and capture our institutions with very little pushback from the right. We have not fought back. And all of a sudden, 
conservatives and Repu mostly conservatives, probably not Republicans, conservatives' eyes have been opened and we do acknowledge the reality of what we're facing. And so the left realizes that their time to impose Marxism on our country is either now or never. So they are going to double down and I hope that, that the parental backlash that they face is enough to squash it once or for all, but they're not going to back down easily. Yeah, no, I, I saw that, you know, before we left New York, one of my kids that were in school and, you know, some friends of ours that had kids a little bit older, like fourth grade, you know, there was literally a one hour long trans curriculum going on in school, Ugh. but it, it was the only class. And this was, you know, some of the finest, you know, schools anywhere in the world. The kids all go to Ivy League school, you know, like one of these institutions that's just like that. But it was the only class that didn't have homework, you know, because they they wanted to push it. They wanted to get it on the kids, but they didn't want the parents to know about it. I think where the left did, you know, they sort of shot themselves in the foot with COVID. The school lockdowns, the this, that, and the other, the online learning, finally parents got to listen in the background into the crap that our kids were t taught. I mean, I think yeah. it was sort of one of the great self-owns of modern time and perhaps finally woke conservatives up, not because they weren't, you know, wouldn't have been thinking of this stuff, but they just had no idea that this level of subversion would be happening in their schools that they pay for, even in conservative areas. And you're wondering, you know, you're in a conservative area. Why is the, you know, the school board, you know, a purple haired trans lunatic, uh, you know, and they don't even want children, but why are they going after ours? And finally, everyone started to wake up and it was because they couldn't help themselves. They had to do it. They had to keep going and it became apparent what was actually happening to our children and their minds. That's exactly right. And it's probably the most encouraging thing that I've seen in politically in my lifetime is to see how many people are like, oh, it's not that these people were stupid. It's not that they were bad parents. They just had no idea. And they weren't so prideful that when they saw the reality, they were like, oh no, this isn't happening because I didn't know about it. They were like, oh shoot, stop. I didn't realize this was happening. <laughs> yeah. Yes, how do we put a stop to this? It's why you've seen all these mama grizzly, these mama bear groups cropping up around the country because moms are like, oh no, you're not doing that to my kid. We are never going to tolerate that. And it gives me tremendous hope that conservatives are ready to reorient their thinking about culture, about society, about the use of government, especially with the critical race theory stuff. I mean, I talk about this a little bit in my book, but the point of teaching little kids, white children, teaching white children that they're racist or black children that they're oppressed, the point of teaching critical race theory is to create an identity crisis in the minds of these little children so that they feel self-loathing because they can't be redeemed. They're just evil based on their skin yeah. color. They start hating their parents because their parents made them white or made them black. And then you see the trans ideology swooping in, almost like a one-two punch, yeah. offering these children the redemption that they otherwise cannot have by saying, hey, you can throw off this oppressor identity of being a white child if you put on this marginalized identity of being transgender or non-binary or LGBTQIA. And in the process of not only mentally, physically, and bodily, mutilating these children, they also alienate these children from their parents and they capture the children as permanent activists, if not revolutionaries for the Marxist left. It's no coincidence this stuff happened in our schools all at once. And I'm so grateful for all the parents who, even before they understood the underpinning or the origin, the Marxist origin of this stuff, they pointed to that and they were like, wait a second, I don't know what that is, but I know it's bad. Yeah, well, I mean, but they were then branded domestic terrorists. Yeah. You know, again, not not by some fringe, you know, group or, you know, the fact checkers who think they're 9000 genders, you know, talking about basic biology and all that. They were branded that by the FBI, you know, mm -hmm. practicing Catholics were branded potential terror threats by our DOJ. The DOJ also got involved in branding those same parents domestic terrorists. I mean, you know, I, you can see why it would be very intimidating for people to get involved. So this so I guess. How should, let's call it the MAGA movement, the America First movement, perhaps even my father's campaign, how should they be messaging on this issue to get people to understand what's going on and what policy priorities are, are, are most important to make sure that that happens? Well, listen, one of the most important things that your father can do when he takes office after he wins the 2024 election is he can abolish the administrative state. I know he had a policy. It was yeah. issued just before he left office in January of 2021, so it didn't have time to come to fruition. But to get rid of these Schedule executive agents. 
Yes, exactly. To get rid of these bloated executive agencies and this bureaucrat to give the chief executive the power to fire people in his own executive branch who are working against him. I know it's really nerdy, but this will make the biggest difference in the targeting of conservatives compared to any other policy out there. The next Republican president needs to tell parents in no uncertain terms that he is a champion of parental rights, that parental rights predate the American government, that no politician has a right to trample on parental rights. He needs to promise to ban critical race theory, to ban transgender ideology from schools, to defund any institution that works with the federal government that pushes DEI, to abolish ESG, and to actually acknowledge that our nation, you don't have to go to church, you don't have to be a practicing believer or a Christian, but that our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian morals, which define for us what is right and what is wrong, and that that administration will work to protect that and will never ever violate that natural law. If you go with that message, I promise people are going to be like, whoa, wait a second. This guy is actually going to save the country. Yeah, no, I, I think without question. And, and you, you saw that sort of revolt by the, the unelected officials in D.C. and the swamp sort of deciding what was right. You saw that in the military. Now, well, you know, Trump wants to get out of Afghanistan. We, we can't allow that to happen. We got to continue the forever war so that we can get our board seat at Raytheon. I mean, you know, the, the good thing about, I think, all of this, again, you know, maybe it's the jump to shark concept or maybe it's I'm just so into it that I, I, I believe that everyone has to see it. But between, you know, sort of the radical trans ideology, between sort of the insanity of Russia, 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 you, you see everything going on. You know, Ukraine is the new religion of the left and they're honoring actual Nazis, SS officers in Canadian parliament because, you know, the guy killed Russians during World War II. I'm trying to, I'm still trying to figure this all out, but it's interesting to me when you talk about education because all of the radicals on the left have completely departed from the actual purpose of education. I mean, there's a pretty famous Martin Luther King Jr. quote that reads, the function of education is to teach one to think intensely and to think critically. But what we're seeing from the left is exactly the opposite. It's not to think critically or, or at all. It's to blindly follow the group thing, regurgitate what you say, even at the highest levels of learning. I mean, I, you know, I went to an Ivy League school and, you know, back then I graduated in 2000. I mean, you could actually have arguments. You could take a conservative standpoint on something. And the fact that you were thinking about it wasn't penal to you. But now if you're not just blindly regurgitating the narrative, you can't even get ahead. And that's at Harvard. I mean, where they're saying, hey, you have zero chance at free speech. I think they were rated like the worst in the country for that. And that was supposed to be one of the finest institutions of higher learning. How can we reverse that nationwide? How can we reverse that insanity? Because our children are going to be incapable of functioning in society if all they're capable of doing is regurgitating. I mean, I learned so much more from taking an adverse position, or back in the day, actually being forced to take a position, I didn't even necessarily believe and argue it versus that we don't have that anymore. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. First of all, the Department of Education needs to be abolished because it is just a cesspool of these Marxists who want to weaponize the education system. It needs to be, there, there's no need for the Department of Education. It should be completely raised, gone. And that can be done with a simple signature by the chief executive. And then we need to have laws that say public schools aren't going to receive a dime of taxpayer money if they have any of these elements, critical race theory, trans ideology, revisionist history, 1619 project, all that nonsense, all that garbage, any mention of that, a breath of that, a whisper of that, and you lose federal funding. And then we have to have states who not only prohibit the teaching of those concepts, but actually go on the offense and say, listen, we're not just going to ban critical race theory, but we're going to have curriculum that teaches children the evils of communism, the actual consequences of left wing authoritarianism, what these Marxist leftists want. And I want to go back to one other thing. When you're talking about what makes a successful campaign or what's going to sell the American people, especially those middle ground voters that I think are always the unicorn, how do we capture the centrists? One of the best moments of your father's campaign in 2016 was on the third debate. He was on stage with Hillary Clinton. You remember the debate? He was accused of like walking around and stalking her, which was hands down the funniest thing that I've ever seen. Yeah. And he had a moment. I was actually sitting at my hairdresser in California. My hairdresser is was this lovely Mexican girl who was totally liberal, hated Trump. And we were watching it together because I had to watch it for work. And she's doing my hair. and. Trump stands there and says to Hillary Clinton, 
we are not going to abort babies up until birth in nine months. We're not going to dismember them and brutally kill them. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. You were there. You know that. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you the impact of actually describing what some of these atrocities are versus just talking about them hypothetically. The girl that was doing my hair stopped what she was doing, got chills up and down her arms and was like, holy shit, I was going to vote for Hillary Clinton and I could never, ever vote for her anymore. And Don, let me tell you, this girl is now a Trump supporter. She voted for Trump in 2020 because of that. This kind of description, whether it's abortion, whether it's the brutal mutilation of children's bodies in the name of the transgender ideology, whether it's critical race theory, the more descriptive we can be about what is being taught, the more parents are gonna be like, I don't know what that is, but I don't like that and I agree, you're gonna stop that, I'll vote for you. Because you and I and everyone in politics oftentimes gets lost in the philosophy. We assume people know the details, and they yeah. don't. They need to be reminded. That's the most effective way to get center voters. Yeah, you see some of the stories, uh, you know, the, the trans child that was manipulated into doing something at seven years old. You see them in, you know, in their 20s and they're suicidal. They can't believe it. And, and they, got, they have nowhere to go. They can't sue the doctors. They can't go after them. They manipulated a minor. The parents were clueless. The parents were manipulated or just trying to go along or... You know, it's it's scary, and I think we got to talk about those things. You know, in education, though, are, are you optimistic about the path forward? I mean, it, education was a winning issue for the Democrats for so long, but it feels like the Republicans are gaining ground a little bit because they know what that is. What you know, what are the benchmarks for success to keep chipping away at this insanity? How do how do we know, and how do we get to the point where we can actually win? Because I don't know that you you know, I mean, it's going to take generations to get Marxist teachers out of those schools. How do we do that? How do we put an end to the insanity? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I have a very based opinion on this, honestly. I tend more towards thinking that we should abolish the public school system entirely. I'm with you, by the way. I, I say it like, if you can get your kids out of our public school system, I get it's hard, I get it's easy. I understand that I'm blessed to be able to pay for private education. Frankly, a lot of private education has been commandeered just as badly, uh, but, you know, it, it's not possible for everyone, though I think we should try and strive for that. Yeah, we should. And until that point, I think eventually um, the prevailing Republican thought or conservatives will catch up to us on this viewpoint. Right now, there's a little pushback I receive whenever I get, whenever I uh, say, oh, I don't know, maybe we should abolish the public school system. But until we do, we need to understand that there are mechanisms that we can use to hold leftist schools accountable. Besides the legislative efforts that I've mentioned a couple of times, we can also enact school choice. I mean, school choice, when it's real school choice, yeah. when the funding goes with the child, parents can, can band together and say, listen, we're going to take our child out of this school and the money that comes with my child if you continue to teach X, Y, and Z. And what happens when, I mean, it's a market effect, right? Yeah. What happens when enough parents say they're going to remove their children and the money that comes with their children from these schools is schools are either forced to change their curriculum or that school shutters. And this is also a very politically advantageous point of view, by the way. It's something that a lot of black mothers who otherwise identify as Democrats, if you offer them school choice to give their children a better education, they cross the party lines and they vote for Republicans. So it's not only um, the right thing to do from a moral standpoint when it comes to saving our education system or taking it back from the radical left, it's also something that's a political winner. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was a huge part of our platform, still is. But, you know, there there is a lot of resistance. There's a lot of powerful forces. The teachers union. they, they know yeah, what a threat it is. They, they know what a threat. And they know that they, they have zero chance of standing up to it if you do. So, yeah, it's an issue that it's hard to believe it doesn't get more traction. But the amount of money being spent to prevent the money from following your children, to prevent school choice, uh, is is astounding, especially when you look at the actual results that our public school systems put out, which are you know dismal at best. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what all that money that you mentioned and that the incredibly strong lobby against school choice tells us exactly what we need to know, that we are posing an existential threat to the way that they indoctrinate our children. They wouldn't waste money on something that they just kind of liked or something that was tangentially useful. This is a fundamental part of how they intend to turn our country from a free country into a Marxist nation. And if we can possibly break their grip on public education, we will have gone a long way in eradicating Marxism from from being an, at least an immediate threat to our future. So that kind of resistance is something I actually like to see, force them to spend the money on that so they can't spend it on something else and fight like hell to get school choice. And in the meantime, if you can get your kid out of public school, homeschool if you possibly can. 
So Liz, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you got to go, but where can everyone find your book, Hide Your Children? Because I think people should read it. People have to understand what it is. You know, I get very few are going to be out there pushing this because you know, we're up against so much. I want people to be able to find it, read for themselves, educate themselves, and then be able to talk to their friends about doing that. I mean, this movement is all about us. We got to figure out how to get it out there in whichever way possible. So I think it'd be a great read for most people. Yeah, you can go to hideyourchildrenbook.com or you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any bookstore now. It's out. It'll be on the shelves. Maybe they'll hide it in the bookstore because of the ideology that prevails. <laughs> I know they did it to children. my books. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. Kind of a badge of honor, but also annoying. Yeah. Um, and guys, let me know what you think. I know that this is a little bit of a challenge towards the prevailing Republican philosophy on governance. I want to hear people's feedback. I really challenge people to grapple with these questions. So go to HydroChildrenBook.com, get your copy, read it. Let me know what you think. I'm really eager to hear people's feedback. Yeah, guys, also check out Liz on social and all the other places. Uh, very good social game, strong, aggressive. She's a fighter. So Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Guys, go get the book and we'll see you all soon. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you're liking, sharing, subscribing, download the Rumble app so you can get notifications. And again, without you guys, this message can't get out. And also make sure to check out our incredible sponsors who have the guts to support programming like this, okay? Take care of yourself. Watch for the insanity. Hedge against the economic storm that seems to be brewing every day. Go check out the great folks over at GoldCo. Learn how to protect your portfolio from skyrocketing interest rates, inflation, global turmoil, stupidity, and everything else. Go to donjuniorgold.com, D-O-N-J-R gold.com to learn more. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you soon, and I look forward to talking to you all then.